Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the November 12, 2023 session, focusing on Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24, A Dark Day. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Crystal Shepard. I hope you've all had a good day. <laughs> you don't have it's to answer. Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. Right. It's Friday. <laughs> Some days are, are good days. Some days are days you don't really comment on much, right? They're pretty flat. And then there are bad days. And we all probably have our own ways of coping with or reacting to bad days. So I'm curious, recognizing it's a PG-rated show, how do you handle it when you have a bad day? I say this not in any sort of boastful way, but I have a, I do have a good ability to let things go. When, if it's a hard day at work, when I'm driving home, I can just let it go pretty easily. On days when that doesn't come so naturally, a hug shortly after arriving home will tend to melt the sadness. So I will admit, so I can, bad days do happen, but I can move through them pretty decently with, with a hug. So yeah. Hugs do make most things better. Oh man, you can't beat it. (laughs) I think for me, if I've had a bad day, a good cry usually helps. I need to get Mm -hmm. all that stuff out or screaming one or the other. Um, (laughs) Mostly crying. Don't want to scare people. Also being outdoors. If I can just step outside and breathe, that usually helps. And then the other thing I try to do is I keep a gratitude list every day. And so if I'm having an especially bad day, I know that I really need to start looking for those little moments in the day to be grateful for. Um, And that usually helps turn my attitude around a little bit. Yeah. When I have a bad day, I go the comfort route. So I will come home and depending on what kind of bad day it was, I either want to sit down and snuggle my kids or ask my kids to not touch me all night long. It just depends. You just never know which way that's going to go. But Outside of that, I will usually put on like the coziest things that I own. I'll cook myself something warm and delicious, like something that is very comfort oriented. And then I'll either curl up and binge a show or read a book, just depending on what felt right for the evening, taking care of myself in a gentle way to reset for the next Yeah, for me, I have learned that I need to give myself space to be upset. (laughs) A bad day for me is usually going to be in either the sad or angry category. I'm either feeling one of those afterwards. So I, too, have the blessing of being able to come home and have someone to vent to (laughs) who listens and and allows me that space. But I know one of the things I have learned about myself is if I will go ahead and just recognize I'm having some bold feelings and and let it have time to work itself through. And that's usually by the time I've slept on it, the next day I'm much better. I've got a much better attitude. And by waiting to do anything or make any decision or to write any response or to (laughs) do anything, 
I have spared myself the pain of doing something stupid. <laughs> and so <laughs> at least sometimes, but yeah. So yeah, I usually pause, deal with the feelings and vent them <laughs> and then sleep on it. Sleep's a wonderful thing. I hope none of us have to turn to our favorite coping mechanisms because of a bad day, but sometimes they do happen. And we have a text today where, <clears throat> I don't know, we might even say God has a bad day. I don't know. A lot of people, <laughs> folks have a bad day with this text. So, so many. <laughs> many. <laughs> Crystal, I'm gently handing this into your hands <laughs> and hoping it Thank doesn't you. cause you to have a bad day. <laughs> Already has, but that's okay. okay. Sorry. <laughs> it is never good when the scripture of the day starts with woe to you. Hmm. For some of you, your translation may say, alas, but a more accurate translation is, woe. This intro in Amos 5 provides a dismal start. The phrase, woe to you, is often used in prophetic literature and is known to be used as a lament for the dead. Amos is saying, woe to you who wish for the day of the Lord, or Yahweh. You don't know it but you're already dead. It is a classic case of, I don't think it means what you think it means for the people of Israel, and if we listen for us as well. This day is not going to be all sunshine, rainbows, kittens, and endless joy. No, it's going to be darkness, death, and destruction. You aren't going to come out on top. You, with your internalized exceptionalism and your religious superiority, you have failed to realize this day of Yahweh seems to be original to Amos, but the idea was rooted in Israel's idea of a holy war, the mentality that because Israel was God's chosen people, they were defended by God from their enemies. In essence, their enemies were God's enemies. And what Amos is saying here is you are not only your own enemy, but because of your actions, you're an enemy to God, so to speak. This day will be your undoing your day of doom. Amos then elaborates to make it abundantly clear. It's as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. If any of you have seen the six minute long bear scene in The Revenant, you know that you definitely do not want to be met by a bear. And this person in Amos escapes the bear only to retreat to their own home, a place of safety, and be bitten by a snake. No one will be safe. Amos then speaks for God. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. I hate is very strong language. I hate and despise, which could more accurately be translated reject, leaves no doubt as to what God thinks of Israel's worship. It is hollow and devoid of legitimacy because they lack justice and righteousness. Their feast of Passover and tabernacles mean nothing. Their offerings are worthless. Their gatherings and their songs are socially and spiritually off-key. 
Can you imagine God saying to us, I hate your praise choruses. I despise your Advent and Lent. I will not tolerate your Sunday school hour, your Bible study, or your three worship services. Your canned food drive and your Operation Christmas Child boxes have no value. I cannot stand to hear your Easter hallelujahs or your Christmases Gloria in Excelsis Deo. God, through Amos, is giving Israel a wake-up call. God wants justice to roll unhindered and righteousness to be a never-ending stream. This passage from Amos gives us the opportunity to pause and reflect. Where do we think we've got the inside scoop on God? Coming from a background of end times and the second coming of Jesus as imminent and sought after, is the day of the Lord what we think it is? How is our worship insincere and our faith mere words in face of injustices like sexual assault, genocide, or hate crimes? Do we lack righteousness or have a false righteousness that is really nothing more than a holier-than-thou exceptionalism that is rooted in our idea that we are the new proxy chosen people. May we heed Amos's warning, striving to be people of God who get in the stream, remove the dams of injustices with our own hands, and clean out the muck that would impede the flow of righteousness. Crystal, that wasn't a Bible background. That was a sermon. <laughs> My word. I, several things are running through my mind right now. My, I love how you, you spoke in using contemporary worship language to cast verse 21 and 22, such that I heard that in an entirely different way. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I want to talk more about that. But the other thing that I'm struggling with, and I'm, and your wonderful sermon there is causing me to struggle that God's love for us may be unconditional, but God's tolerance of our behavior is not, and God's acceptance of our worship is not. It is very much conditional, if Amos is to be believed, it is conditional upon our acting justly in this world. Sorry, Nikki. It's reminded me of sometimes Nikki wants to snuggle up to her children. Other times she has had enough. <laughs> yeah. I need a moment away from your face right now. That kind of thing. I don't know. That that's another piece I'm I'm dealing with right now too. So I'll stop there. But yeah, I think for me it was like it's about faith being congruent with action. There had you you can claim to worship God and claim to to be a Christian, but I think if we are to believe the gospels, then that faith should be one of action and one where it is so much a part of our lives that we are striving to live it, to live out the gospel. And even though this is a passage from Amos, I think that's what Amos is saying, like uh, what God is saying. This is hollow. This is not, you're not living out your faith because you do not, you lack justice and you lack righteousness. 
Yeah, when you went to Christmas boxes, the shoe boxes, I went, oh, she done quit preaching and went to meddling now. <laughs> but um, the language that Amos uses to speak for God, I hate and despise. It is. It's such strong language. And what I thought about as you were talking about that is that God's hatred is because there is such a disconnect between their actions at the temple and their actions outside of the temple. And that is such a contemporary issue for us today. Like the hypocrisy that is present among ministers and church leaders across denominations is unsettling. It's so unsettling. And I think you're right. It's absolutely that our worship becomes something awful when it is not shored up by a life lived well, when it is, it, it becomes perverted and poisoned when we leave the church and go about our lives as if we haven't been changed at all. It's not just that our worship ceases to matter or be effective. It actually becomes something that is poisoned. And it, it reminds me, the, you're right, the language is harsh. But it reminds me or causes me to think that it's not contradictory for God to love and hate. I don't think hate is the opposite of love. I think indifference is. God is not at all indifferent to our behavior, our the way we mistreat the poor, the way we cast aside and trample upon those who are different simply for being different and strong. But I think it goes along with God's love for us, and it absolutely kills God's heart when we do this. Usually we don't have feelings of anger or hatred towards things that we don't love. It's not the way that it works. Unless it's an enemy that is actively harming something that we love mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or someone. Right. If it's not important to us, right. we wouldn't have big feelings. And I, I, I don't want to jump immediately to good news, because I, I think part of what the prophets cause us to do is to sit where we are. So I'm not trying to immediately hop to good news here, but God's hatred and non-acceptance of our worship when we are actively pursuing injustice, the flip side to God's acceptance of us being conditional is that it's it's just that. It's conditional. It's not forever. It's not static. We can and should fix this. And it's not God's problem to fix. It's ours. And I don't want to be flippant and say it's just as easy as doing justice, because if it were that easy, we'd do it. But 
I also don't think it's we should act like this is that acting justly in this world should be some high hurdle that we have to I don't know what I'm saying. It's, it, I, I don't want to say simply that to be flippant and say, just act right and all will be OK. But at the same time, doing justice is not some complicated calculus that we can't figure out either. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? That we, it, the, Micah says he has told you what God wants. Yeah. And doggone it, it's, our, I think our initial impulse is to read this passage and go, how can I be more just? How can I live more justly and more righteously? And the problem is, <laughs> often it's not just an I problem. It's mm-hmm. a we problem. And it's a system. Like, I would love for child labor not to be a, a, an issue. To me, that's a justice issue. But I can't fix that by myself. It's not, that's not something I actively get up in the morning and make happen and can stop. But, but I can work to put an end to it in the society and in the culture, in the systems that perpetuate it. And I think that, I think that's part of what we're hearing here is God's irritated, not just at individuals who won't do individual things, mm-hmm. but that at people who won't go up against these powerful systems that abuse people, oppress them, hold them back. I don't know. I think it's a we. And I think when you speaking to that, when I was talking about the end using our own hands to, to dismantle things, I think we have to join together in that. And it takes all of us collectively doing something, even if it's little things. You talk about child labor. So if we look at where's the child labor, we'll say it's attached to fast fashion. So then I commit that I'm not going to buy fast fashion. I'm going to purchase whatever your budget is. I'm going to purchase secondhand. I'm going to do, and that helps the environment. I think it's all of us working together for those solutions individually, but if that makes sense, as a collective, making those same decisions together to commit to doing those things standing up and saying, I don't want my money to go towards X, Y, and Z. I'm going to, whether that's from purchasing to the people we elect or whatever, I think that it's important. I think that's a, a good point that, you know, we get overwhelmed with what can we do? It is about a we. It's us doing it together. Mm-hmm. Because one person, yes, me recycling my plastic bottles is probably going to do a little bit, but if we all do that, yeah, then that makes a difference. If that makes sense, yeah. I don't know if I'm making mm-hmm. sense in that. No, and I think that's borne out in the text. I went to go look, and I'm looking so far. All of the U's are plural here. Mm. They are not singular U's. I just found one. <laughs> your stringed instruments and your songs are singular. All the rest are plural. Mm. I don't know, maybe. That was a grammar error. But all of the other U's are, in this passage, are plural. And now you you all may know this better than I do. I I know that sometimes it's hard for us to think of this in our society because we, in North America at least, we tend to be pretty individualistic. Mm -hmm. We talk about the rugged individualism that is held up as virtuous in many spaces. We love the 
sorry to use the masculine language here, but the self-made man that that's a that rags to riches is a almost a national tale that we that we love to rally around. I'm not a a scholar on either the Hebrew scriptures or the Israelite people, but I, I do know that through the stories that we read and the language that's used, it's a much more communal society. And I think the Hebrews knew what starting to learn that our behavior has effects on others. Mm-hmm. And the decisions that I make have effects on my neighbor. And we are not individuals making up a society. We are a society. Dana, I like the way that you talked about the plurality that is present in the passage. And I think that you're right, that we have a very hard time of even comprehending what it looks like to be a communal society. I would go as far to say that individualism is in opposition to Christian values. Mm. And it's not even to say that it's bad all the way. I do think it, it has gotten to a point where it's harmful to us outside of Christianity. But when you read Christianity and what it is about betterment for the whole. And so I really do believe that individualism is in opposition to Christian gospel values. I am going to turn again to a book I have referenced before by Claudio Carvalho's um, Liturgies from Below. And in it, he has a collection of worship resources, among them being um, this prayer of confession, which feels like a good word for a passage like the one we've had today, because what better response than that of a genuine confession and a changed life? So hear these words. He says, loving God, we gather today to confess that we have failed to extend our kindness to the poor and to the hungry. We have accumulated enough wealth for our comfort and have been insensitive to the needs of the weak and the poor in our community. Forgive us, for we have comfortably closed our eyes to the cry of our neighbor. Indeed, we have been selfish, but we preach to the poor and to the hungry your word without sharing our bread with them. Forgive us for clinging to our own possessions rather than to you. Unite our hearts to share our resources and stand for justice for all. May we work for justice in this world so that our worship will indeed be pleasing to God. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.